0: Welcome to another episode of Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. Third,
1: third. What's going on, Chuck? Oh, you know, it's oddly winterish here in Arizona, so I'm just trying to get right with that. I, uh, as we'll talk about later, was in Florida over the weekend where it was 70 and 80 degrees, and then I came back to Phoenix to freeze for some odd reason hmm. it's actually gotten to freezing levels at night and our highs have been in the low 50s with very little humidity which means burr cold
0: <laughs> yeah i see that uh is that a todd snyder sweater i see there
1: yes yes it's a cricket nice. style or tennis style sweater depending upon what side of the pond you're from <laughs> this is why i said the the dream of the 90s is alive and well because i was wearing these things in high school in the 90s all come around chunky shoes again, too. Yeah,
0: the styles these days are um not exactly what I would approve of. I guess the male ones are okay, but like, I don't know, like mom jeans being cool again is kind of odd to me, but yeah, <laughs> but whatever. It's disappointing.
1: <laughs> well, I don't think they were originally branded in that way, so that was probably part of the initial appeal. And then those women got older and became moms and were still wearing those jeans, and then ergo mom jean. That's true. Yeah, that logic tracks. Yeah. Now we could just call them future mom jeans, but then I don't want to make assumptions for people. That's true. All right. So let's talk about whiskey. You want to talk about this one?
0: I could. This is the very old St. Nick, ancient cask, eight-year-old rare rye whiskey. There's a lot of words in that that evoke it being fancy, but I feel like they're just trying to, like, pretend like they're a pappy or something. (laughs) Like, I don't really know. It seems like fake pappy, in my
1: opinion. Right. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, well, so interesting thing about this brand is that it, and now it says it was bottled in Bardstown, but so there were, this brand has been around for a while and it was like originally a California company that developed the brand or picked up the brand and then was sourcing whiskeys to primarily sell in the Japanese market because that used to be the place where bourbon was the most prominent and popular, less so here, obviously things have changed. So I think this brand is just sort of, evolved over time with that similar story Hmm. i don't know that they are distilling anything themselves but the preservation distillery is the place out of bardstown although it says product of canada so it sounds like it's a sourced rye Hmm. one weird part here i hadn't noticed it says caramel coloring that's uh concerning yeah i didn't notice that So it's 82.8 proof, also concerning. So maybe I just picked the wrong one, but I've been like, because I knew the brand from back in the day when it was like sourced out of Kentucky and like really good shit. I was like, oh, now it's back and a little more popular possibly. And let's grab one. We'll see if we grab them. Where does it say caramel color? It says it in the lower right, really small font. Underneath the barcode, probably like a half inch or so. Oh, Mine doesn't say it. Interesting. Well, good for you. Do you have the one that is 82.8 proof? Yep. Hmm. From lot number 10. Oh, wait. I don't think I have a lot. Where's your lot number?
0: On the top part where it has the eight-year thing.
1: Yeah. I don't have that. Maybe you got a fake one. Yeah, maybe I did get a fake one. So, interesting. Or maybe I did. <laughs> you have the one with caramel coloring. Well, we'll see. If As long as it's the same proof and stuff. And does it say... Product of Canada underneath their bottled and their address? No.
0: Or yes. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. Old St. Nick Distillery Bardstown. Yep. Okay. Product of Canada. All right.
0: Which doesn't really make any sense, but okay. Yeah. All right. Let's smell this thing.
1: Yeah, let's smell it. Hmm. Doesn't smell like much. Maybe because of the 80 proof. (laughs) It's mild. It's got some coloring to it, though, but I think that's caramel color. And it might be like. Influencing me, but I have like a little bit of like a brown sugar and spice kind of slight though. It's, it is mellow.
0: Yeah, I could say see like a cinnamon tea or something a little bit.
1: Hmm. Yeah, maybe like a tea, like herbaly kind of. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a swish. Hope you got that sound effect. <laughs> As I will reveal more later, I'm doing a particular diet currently. It doesn't allow me to imbibe in alcohol, so, hmm. So I'm spitting it out, sacrilege. But I'm now feeling like it's not such a big deal in on this one. Yeah, it's it's not fantastic. I'm trying to get some flavor notes here.
0: Very very bitter, mm. like orange rind on the the end there. Really, nothing but that. It tastes like. You just took a bunch of orange rinds and like
1: boiled them for a while. (laughs) That's an interesting descriptor. I was feeling bitter also around experiencing some bitter and some like, again, still like slightly herbal like herbs. Like so. Yeah. Like maybe a tinge of like something like rosemary or something in there. And then it's just kind of burned. Yeah.
0: There's a little bit of herby freshness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, citrus rind, I would say a little herbal herbalish and then quite a bit of burn for a low proof. Maybe this is just me and my lack of actual food and drink the last 2 days.
0: It's kind of like if you were making a like a mold cider mm. and you had say some kind of spice and like some oranges and you know things you were going to put in there. And then instead of the good part, like the inside of the orange and like the good part of the spices, you use the leftovers and threw them in <laughs> like a, a whiskey barrel. <laughs> it's
1: kind of what it tastes like. Yeah, because you get like the zest, right? If you zest in a little bit of the skin and you get some of that without mm-hmm. so much of the bitterness. I forget what they call that. The white part of the gross part the rind or skin there. Yeah, the gross part. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Scientific term. Yeah. Fill in a blank there. We'll edit in the right word later. <laughs> Yeah. So I think this one was pretty pricey, if I recall correctly. So yes, I believe in the 150 range. With that in mind, I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. I'm fairly disappointed. I mean, it has some interesting notes to it that you probably can turn into a decent cocktail. But then this is a pretty expensive cocktail whiskey to put together into it. So yeah, I I could drink it. It will probably not get wasted. Mm Mm-hmm. But that said, maybe, and again, oh, I've got a little water. I'm going to experiment with some water and then spit it back out again, of course. But uh, yeah, right now, as is, I am feeling three is probably as good as it gets. Yeah. So I'll give it a second here with some water and swish that around. But smell doesn't change.
0: Yeah. It's probably the most disappointing rye I've had, I think. Hmm trying to remember if there was another rye we had where we were like oh this is
1: trash but i don't recall one huh so it gets a little better with a couple of drops of water hmm. it reduces the bitter a little and gives it almost like a caramelized orange so you're still getting that orange citrus kind of thing but it almost gives it now it's drawn up a little bit of the sweetness just a smidge
0: all right well i'll try this one on ice later maybe
1: yeah yeah I'd almost go four. I'd say it bumped up one. It's not great. Okay. I'm not going to chase it down for this price because I think it's not interesting enough for that. But, uh yeah. Yeah. I think
0: I, it took some of the bitter out. Yeah. I think some whiskeys are expensive and hard to find because they're really good. And some are because they're prestigious and, like, yeah, you know, whatever. And this one... It's fake to me. It's like, you know, we faked this old brand, which is not that old with your very old in the name. Like it's
1: eight years old. Yeah. Eight is not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a letdown, but that's fine. Yeah. Disappointing. I don't know that I'd buy another bottle of their stuff. I would try because they do bourbons, too, and they have uh, a few different ryes and bourbons. So maybe I would try one other thing, but I'm probably not going to do it via a bottle.
0: Yeah, I would I would try any of the things a bar or whoever might have it, but I'm
1: not not gonna buy another bottle of this probably. There you go. There goes another potential sponsor out the door. Womp womp. <laughs> so let's talk about technology. I love All technology. Right. Have you heard of jQuery? <laughs> well, only <laughs> I have. I've even read the docs. So mm. yeah, I mean it's a solid framework for building. SaaS applications. Yeah. You know, web-based applications. Yeah. Yeah. Front end and back end. Mm-hmm. I use it for both. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I just <laughs> mock the DOM and then it works fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For all my tests, I assert true and
1: uh, it's good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We are not professionals on the internet. Do not take advice from us. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. No. So what we really
0: actually want to talk about, I guess this will be a couple weeks late when it airs and then actually... We'll be interviewing Fred from the Astro team uh, next, the week after? I think next week. Yeah, so yes. So we're going to be preempting that. A couple of weeks behind on this one, and then even more weeks behind when you hear from Fred, who will know better than we will. We wanted to give you a, a quick intro into Astro 2 and some of the new things that dropped, because we're big Astro fans and really believe that it is kind of the future of building web apps, so... Let's jump into some of the juicy new features here.
1: Cool. Well, one of the things that stood out for me, I'm going to jump in the list a little bit, is the redesigned error overlays. So it was a really good tweet about the way those error overlays were working in Astro 1 versus Astro 2. And essentially, those familiar with like, say you have an XJS app and and this is, I think, comes straight from React. and So not against Next.js necessarily, but like, and you have a problem in your component tree or whatever else, and it'll just a gray background and basically just puts up a little a little modal with like some of the stack trace, not a lot of information around the error. So then sometimes you'll be able to like kind of Google that and dig into React docs and then find out, oh, you know, you can't use a hook outside of components. And that's just a really generic, easy example. So they've gotten a lot better about error handling, display, information display, because I think Fred may have even said this, like the first stop in debugging issues is obviously like, what's the error? So the more they can give you in that first stop, and it's really nicely designed. So I got to give them that too. It's like a pleasant view, very detailed information wise. So that's something that I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that is, that's a huge problem that we could probably have a whole episode on is why like errors aren't better in JavaScript because like I was debugging one earlier today with Ember Table where only if you're using Ember Table in a V2 add-on, shipping it to an app using Embroider and the file you want to import is TypeScript. Like it's a very Mm. complex event chain, I guess. If those things happen, you get an error because it's like expecting a certain thing, like certain things to be in the component or something that aren't there when it's TypeScript for some reason. (laughs) And the error basically says like, error at class, 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 this error. Like the classes don't have any names. They're just class. And Nullvox noticed like if you turn off Embroider, you get error at Ember table, Ember table row, Ember table cell. Like it tells you the real things. So it's like that info is there. Why are we hiding it? In this like Webpack world or whatever, like
1: yeah, just spit out the real thing that happened so that we can debug it. But pass through or something, yeah. Too many. <laughs> sometimes there are too many abstractions, and what you've described is a lot of them. Yeah, but sorry to derail us there. That's a, just a <laughs> little bit of a problem I've been having.
0: But yeah, one of the other things that they have done is some hybrid rendering, which you've probably heard of in uh, like Next JS or honestly, I don't know who all does it. I know Next does it, where you can say like. You know, instead of fully static or fully server rendered, do some of both kind of thing where you can be like, you know, here's this page that's maybe static. This page is server rendered, even like, I don't know, actually, without looking, if this means you can do it in like small sections
1: of the page or if uh, if it's a full page. I don't know if it's per page, but the yeah, we need to dig into that more. So we're going to introduce things that we didn't read all of. Let's see what it says. So, at least in the sense of your application. Okay, it's per page. Yeah, and that tracks in the same pattern that Next.js does it. And then Next gives you three options, actually. Regardless, and this this would probably tee up for a similar situation because the idea is that you're deploying this. You can deploy it like static, but then you still have your web server in the background to perform certain bits for you. So one being like, okay, during build time, you have all your static pages. The second, obviously being server side rendered. So that's on request, fresh data every single time, given if you have like good cache settings or whatever else. And then the third one that next does, and I bet you could do something like this with Astro or I wonder if it's on their roadmap is incremental static generation. Right. And so it's sort of like, especially for like internationalized sites, pretty great thing where you can say, I want to render everything in build time for English and all other languages will get at, as at the request. And then beyond that first request, it becomes static. So you sort of like save time. Say if you support seven languages and you're trying to replicate your entire site, you don't have to do that all in build time every single time. You can kind of say 80% of our customer base is demanding English. We're going to give it to them. And then 10% want it in French. And yeah, when they come... Yeah, after the first time, they're good to go.
0: Yeah, I think this actually might be similar to that. We'll have to get the deets from Fred when we talk to him. But it's saying, like, you can mix static and dynamic content, and it pre-renders the pages. So it's like server-side rendering, but pre-rendered. So it's, like, the best of both. Like you're saying, like, if you have one that everyone accesses most, you might pre-render that so that it, like, gets shipped Quicker, But then it still has dynamic data. Um, I don't know how it works. Hmm. We'll get more details from him.
1: And then islands and after the initial render and all of the things architecturally they support. Fair enough. I just want to say Vite. Vite? So Vite 4. Vite 4 <laughs> is up there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, they use Vite 4 under the hood for Astro 2. I'm unsure if that could cause potential issues because I know, I forget if it was Astro or Nuxt, but one of them was using Vite 2, I believe. And when Vite 3 dropped, like there were some inconsistencies and like stuff didn't work right if you were using certain plugins or whatever. So hopefully we don't get bitten by too much of that. But everyone's super excited about Vite. It's like the number one thing that no one has any complaints about in State of JS. So
1: yeah. So at least out of the people who responded to that particular survey and everybody's kind of happy with those things. Yeah, I know switching over Just test to test too was a nice experience. So, so far, so good kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think we were long overdue for like a, what are the words? Like it, not a build tool, I guess a build tool, like Webpack or Rollup or Parcel or Bundler, I guess. Right. Whatever you call all those things. Like a thing that, that people actually like and want to contribute to and is like has momentum. Like I feel like everyone was like a Webpack pack or Ew, roll up like I don't want to touch that stuff. I'll use it when I have to or whatever. But like everyone seems excited about building on top of Vite and like it unlocks so many things. So I think that would be a huge step forward for everyone.
1: Right. So what I'm not clear about, because lots of people are excited about Bun for a little while. People are excited about Deno as, like, the runtime. But then it kind of does some more things. and Like, you have some Deno-based frameworks, like Fresh or something. And, you know, how do those all play together? Or are they competitive players? I don't know. So I was listening to
0: Shop Talk Show, I think. I forget if it was Shop Talk or Syntax. I listened to them both a lot. Mm. But they had... Ryan Dahl, I think it was who made note and Dino mm-hmm. and he did settle it. It is Dino, not okay. Dino. Perfect. Not Dino. Okay. Yeah. He was asked directly. Yeah. So yeah, it was shop talk. Cause I remember Chris saying that now mm. and like, they kind of had this big question that is the main thing that I wonder about is like, okay, so it's 2023 Dino exists. It's been around a few years, whatever. Like, what does that mean for me? this year right like do i use it for something like what's going on like everyone's pretty firmly rooted in node right now i would say so like is it relevant i guess was kind of the the big question and it's like like i forget all the good things they had about it but it was like i think something like ten thousand plus people are using it daily for things or something so it's like building momentum and it's uh things it has are like a lot of security things that are better than node and and whatnot. So I think all of these things are going to coexist for a while until like, you know, if you're the guy building bun and Dino builds everything you did, you're probably dead. Right. Like, right. (laughs) There's a lot of hype for bun because it's in like some weird language that like no one had ever used and it does everything much different than we're used to. So it was like really cool. But, um, I don't know. I think Vite is going to be kind of the like vanilla JS style standard and then you'll have like, you know, all these other things that do it differently that people will occasionally use in edge case apps and stuff, but I think Vite is going to be like the new web pack, Like, Turbopack is not going to do it.
1: Hmm. That's some bullshit. We're not using Turbopack. We're using Vite. <laughs> nice. That's an interesting perspective, yeah, because TurboPack is supposed to just be a Webpack replacement, right? But then if people have moved on from Webpack. Yeah, we've already replaced Webpack. Thanks. See you later. (laughs) Moving into other runtime and build tools. I love how many JavaScript supporting tools are written in other languages, right? Like, Mm -hmm. at a certain part, you really might ask, like, why am I working in JavaScript? Maybe I should just work directly in that other tool like you know rust has wasm and yeah frameworks and stuff on its own like yeah maybe that's the way yeah primogen would agree with you that rust is the way right which (laughs) is he gonna be on or what
0: yep soon coming soon yes except it won't because now that we've said publicly that it's coming soon it won't happen
1: yeah it's gonna all fall apart (laughs) don't hold us to anything this isn't very serious so Cool. But back to the original Astro 2, just, yeah, because he would say, just don't use JavaScript. But I don't know if he really means that all the time.
0: I think most of what he says is satire, at least a little bit, but it's, uh,
1: I don't know. We'll find out. Hmm. Uh, Public roadmap, which I think is a good idea um, with high profile projects. It's kind of nice. And uh, I didn't realize they have an RFC process, which we obviously know within the Ember community, can slow things down, but makes for good discourse and hopefully helps with good decision making within the community that you're trying to support. So,
0: yeah, I think doing all that in public is a good thing. I think most projects are doing some flavor of that now because it's like, even if, You have a sufficiently large number of people on the team and you're saying, "Okay, there's 20 of us and we think this is a good idea. Maybe 20,000 people think it's a terrible idea because of a thing you didn't think of. So like doing that in public gives people the chance to be like, no, you shouldn't do
1: that. Yeah. Or bring about use cases you hadn't considered. Mm The improved dev server, hot model reloading. I mean, that just kind of speaks for itself, I think. Uh, It's certain features that people are used to. Yeah. I think before there were certain
0: cases where you had to kill the server to get a reload for certain things. I forget what it was, but uh, I'm guessing all of that is fixed with that. And that's actually a big thing because when things aren't working as you expect with your live reload, it really is a
1: hindrance to your progress of day-to-day work. Yeah, because you think you did something wrong and you're like, wait a minute, and then you start, oh, well, let's try this, let's try this, oh, crap, no, I just needed to. Yeah, stop and start the server, okay can be yeah most of those problems
0: are around tailwind for me and ember and maybe it was an astro as well where it's just like tailwind is kind of set up to work with like by itself or with maybe post css but if you're kind of integrating further into a build tool it tends to conflict with the the live reload stuff and things there
1: Mm. food for thought on that yeah Automatic type safety for Markdown and MDX, which I think is cool, especially if you're doing like a complex, more like application rather than a static site with it. Things are closer. Are-
0: so I think that makes sense for MDX. Yeah. I'm confused about what types you would need in Markdown. Yeah. Like what this is a heading. Hmm. Don't use it as not a heading or something. Like,
1: right. How are you declaring those types, let alone its readability in the types? I'm not sure because I mean, we haven't really worked in more dynamic data within our markdown content. So really hard to say there, but I guess I can see like comprehensively when you're talking about an Astro file and having type safety throughout it, kind of makes sense if you're getting really into the weeds on it.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's things like, um, you know, say you have a code block or something, maybe requiring like give it a language or, you know, stuff to make sure your like markdown is as good as it, could be or something like that i don't know let's see if i can click glean in the next like 10 seconds reading this
1: yeah because otherwise they'll be quiet and and what cannot read undefined um spelled format so you can organize oh
0: i see so it's like yeah you can have blogs newsletters products like categories of collections and it will do things like oh you had a blog post and you didn't give it a title or something is what i think So, okay, that's actually really useful.
1: Yeah, on like the schema around each content type. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It seems quite interesting. And now we know there's the high-level synopsis. Yes, there you go. Words are hard. They are hard.
0: Especially when you haven't actually drank the whiskey.
1: Mm. <laughs> I know it usually helps this conversation be a bit smoother, so apologize for my sobriety to yeah. anyone who's subjected themselves to it.
0: I'm unsure if it helps the conversation or if it helps us feel like it's going better.
1: You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you should know. You listen to these episodes. I don't. I just take your word for it. You're like, yeah, you're doing a great job. Yeah. They sound better
0: than they do when we do it because I think Podcast Royale takes some of the pauses and weird shit out and like they do a good bit of editing and a good job. So, yeah. Props to them. Shout out to them. Sponsored by Podcast Royale. Not really. (laughs) No,
1: Podcast Royale is sponsored by Whiskey Web and whatnot. That's true. That's true. Small bit. But uh, all right. And then we wanted to uh, vent about technology a little bit. You were talking about Tailwind and its integration with other tools Mm -hmm. and or libraries. One of those libraries in life that I am really tired of is Material UI. So... I can understand functionally some of the sugar you get. One sec. Okay.
0: Before you jump into this, can we define, because I always get confused. There's like
1: material design, which is like the Google design framework. It's the the theory, basically. It's not even a framework. It's like, it's not a usable tool. Like material design is an ideology, a set of rules around. Right.
0: Yeah, UX. But then, like, I believe there is a material UI and then possibly also a MUI, which is, like, are the same but different libraries. Am
1: I making that up? I think you're right, but I think things might have, like, shaken out to a few, like, actual major players. So I think that MUI is essentially, like, the thing. And there used to be kind of two. But, like, MUI is the React framework library. So I believe there were some variations around material design or material UI right. that worked in various
0: frameworks. So is that what we're talking about then is the React MUI? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to clarify before we launch into discussing. Yeah. I
1: can't speak to, I mean, but I would think there'd be some overlap in uh, some of those, those bits. The, I also found another library called Tailwind MUI, which somebody took... Mm. MUI and then tweaked it to be all tailwind friendly and done for its like classes and styles and stuff like that. So the two can play together. Obviously you can create your own thing or you can say essentially what's happened in my recent experience is deciding that MUI can kind of own the components with some enhancement passing along class names and then, you know, do its own functional bits and mostly that weird everything looks like Google bit of the application. And then all of the layout, flexbox kind of stuff like that, will be mm-hmm. tailwind. Simplify that. I really don't like the idea that like layout is a component and everything around like basic just style divs are components for whatever reason. And then you have like 40 props for variations. How about this is visual display, let's simplify it, use your utility classes. So,
0: I mean, I guess you maybe didn't have a say in what was used, but if you use Tailwind UI with headless UI and Tailwind, then you would have similar things. Like probably the reason you would want to use a MUI is like, oh, maybe it has an input component that displays errors when they happen and then like a dropdown or a modal or like Mm -hmm. trying to be faster, kind of like you would have used Bootstrap back in the day. But totally if you use Tailwind UI with headless UI, or even not, you don't need Tailwind UI. If you use headless UI, you get those things of like a modal dropdowns, whatever, and they're just kind of unstyled. And then you pass tailwind classes to them to make them look however you want. So then you don't have this weird, like, oh, I've got all these props and other crap. It's just like, just use tailwind classes.
1: Yeah, it's straightforward. Totally agree. Like you said, though, if you come into an application where 30% of it is built and then so you'd have this disparate experience to basically do this other stuff completely different. So you could do that, but you're not eliminating a dependency. Because let's say, oh, in this section where you're an admin and not a normal logged in user. So this could be unique. And maybe I'm going to take that direction to give it a little bit of a refined visual style that isn't Google. I mean, it's fine, but you're not removing a dependency. You're, in fact, adding one. And then. You know, maybe it's weird for a user that happens to have both roles or, or whatever else, like there's a lot of inconsistencies there. Right. So what, you know, the value kind of diminishes and definitely I'm not going to go back and refactor all the existing stuff based on like preference. So. Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah. Just, uh, annoying.
1: Yeah, it's annoying because it's a lot more challenging to force some utility classes down through on things. And then you want to be somewhat backwards compatible. So then you're just adding more and more props for more and more options or variations, which I think is messy. So,
0: yeah, I feel you. I've been uh, doing a lot of cleanup myself for various things.
1: How about just rewrite it in Astro
0: well, I, I joke about that with a lot of uh, Ember people. Sometimes they like come to me to complain about a thing in their app, or like ask for help or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, all right, you could probably do it like this, or like you could get your company to hire all of us, and for the next two years, we'll convert it to Astro and Solid. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, yeah, no,
1: there's a yeah
0: hasn't been interested in that yet. So
1: yeah, well, your pitch is so well refined and inexpensive sounding. Yeah, give me twenty million dollars
0: and a team of ten and uh we'll get it done.
1: Yeah, we'll get this done. <laughs> You'll be happy because there'll be reduced build times with Vite mm-hmm. and faster pages. And we'll be solid JS experts by the end of it.
0: Yeah. I mean solid is really great. I always like I still don't know much about it, but I keep evangelizing it to everyone I can because I'm like, look, if you know React, which ninety-nine percent of people do the syntax is the same the mental model is just different around like create a signal instead of use 50,000 hooks just say this one thing is going to change here you go mm-hmm. like right you know
1: just feels right we'll see i don't know i feel like my only outside view to you know the tech world is tech twitter and these things are getting a lot of uh a lot of talk. Mm-hmm. People are trying it and it seems to be seems to be getting a lot of momentum. Tailwind, on the other hand, seems to have a split <laughs> decision on <laughs> Oh, I'm here for it though. Like I
0: loved Adam's post where he was like, you know, all these people are just shitting on Tailwind and saying, like, oh, you should use CSS instead of Tailwind. He's like, huh. I guess a big CSS file with thousands of selectors that style things isn't CSS anymore.
1: <laughs> right? I mean, you yeah, he, he essentially exactly came up with like these giant CSS files with options, right? And then there's a processor mm-hmm. like to try and make that work easier for you. So you're just someone else wrote your CSS. All you gotta do is tell it which ones. It is a little bit of an eyesore at first. I can understand like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like seeing HTML in a JS file years ago. It's weird. Mm -hmm. So seeing 40 classes on one line and then the next one and then the next one and then the next one can be a little weird.
0: Yeah, I've been talking with um, someone on a team I'm working with that's like a Tailwind fan and has been learning it, but is like, you know, wow, this is such a different mental model. And it is like, it's, it takes you a while to get up that learning curve. But then once you do, I feel like the rapid prototyping is so fast of like, oh, I can, you know, throw these classes on here. I don't have to worry about naming it. Like, I don't have to say, all right, here's these 10 elements and this one's a wrapper and this one's a container and this one's a whatever. It's just like, they're all divs. Here's all the classes. This is what they look like, done.
1: So I love that part of it. Yeah. And the nice thing is, is it translates from project to project. I think that's the plus side of versus Mm -hmm. creating your own, you know, this is my system or whatever else. And like, assuming you can apply that system to every application you go to, or you change jobs and then you go to a new place and the system's a little different. Right. And maybe there's a tweak on BIM that wasn't the same way that you thought about it, or I don't know. Yeah. Any number of things like that. Like the plus side is this is a pattern that once you know it, Whatever project you're on, it translates. And so it makes the context change easier.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan of using tools that are very opinionated and have one way to do things. So it's like, mm. I want to add padding to this thing. It is P-4 or whatever. Like it, it's never different than that. Unless I guess you could monkey with the config and like make it really different. But hopefully you aren't using Tailwind like that. So yeah, it's It's very portable across projects. Like I can jump into a thing, even a React project where I'm not familiar with how React works and I can style everything because I just have to throw the classes on there. So it's like a superpower from like not needing to know where do my styles go? What are my possible things? How are we naming them? Like where do I import those style files, et cetera? It's just, just straightforward.
1: Yeah, and again, like I used to really like the idea that styles living with components, but then when you sometimes have some slightly redundant components and things like that, you can have a lot of redundant styles and Mm -hmm. you're repeating yourself and you don't realize that, Oh, over here there's this thing or further up the cascade. There's this thing like, and then you're not an override hill. You're just doing the direct thing you need that. What is the one line of this property I need on this thing? Just be explicit.
0: Yeah, my example that I always give is like, just search your code base for display flex and tell me how many you have. It's probably a thousand. Like if your app is big, it's tons and tons. Or I guess if your app is on the bleeding edge, maybe you have a lot of display grid, whatever, like display something, display block, whatever. Those things you can save a thousand times, let's say four or five characters or whatever, getting rid of whatever the props may be to like, you can get rid of display colon, you can say just flex as your class or whatever. And then you make sure that all of the things that are display flex are inheriting from that one flex. It's not like I have, you know, then additional class names that take up more bytes that are wrapped just to say this thing is display flex. So it really simplifies bundles and like you should never have duplicated CSS ever, theoretically. Right. Right. So win-win yeah but anyway this podcast is sponsored by cleanse diets that chuck mm, has been doing <laughs> right tell me about it
1: yeah i cannot remember the lady who did it but it doesn't matter somebody i think on instagram or something my wife follows she found this like six day mm. detox cleanse diet and it's like oh you want to do it with me sure whatever i like torture myself you eating nothing but hemp no not at all i mean it is like somewhat diverse foods but it's i don't know i just have like quickly become uninterested in food based on this so yesterday for example was oatmeal and blueberries for breakfast that sounds fine a little bland but fine yeah that was fine you know not crazy you can drink coffee and whatever uh, water, lots of water. You got to drink a gallon of water per day, mm. and then there's they supposedly tell you if you don't finish your gallon, you're supposed to carry it over and then complete that all the next day. Which hell no! Oof! What if you end up with like three gallons in one day? Right, exactly. <laughs> wouldn't it, you die? I think you would. So yeah. hopefully you wouldn't do that. I think it's supposed to incentivize you. I don't know. Yeah. The lunch yesterday. Now will see with a lack of. Oh, it was gluten free bread. And it was like a veggie sandwich and a hard-boiled egg. So you had like carrots and spinach and cucumber Mm. on like gluten-free bread. Yeah, not great. I would rather just eat like just spinach in a bowl Yeah, and like an egg. That sounds good. Right. Well, that's (laughs) one of the things I like about the whole plain like chicken diet thing with like oh a bunch of green veggies and just plain chicken great i could do that yeah like simplify it this had a lot of weird textures and stuff and then dinner it was like an arugula salad with tomatoes carrots cucumber and like some really plain grilled chicken it was like a tablespoon of olive oil with like a splash of lemon as your are dressing quote unquote and then salt and pepper it's fine but i wasn't very hungry and i hate arugula I don't hate it, but I really dislike it, especially alone. Like Mm -hmm. you can throw it into a mixed salad for me and I can deal with that. But if it's just like a pile of arugula, not good. Yeah. So this morning was like an avocado toast on the same gluten-free bread and smashed avocado with like some lemon pepper. Fine. Not exciting. No egg. No egg this morning. And then uh, I got some raspberries and cucumbers for snack. And I had the other half of that salad for lunch but it would have been like some green smoothie otherwise i have no idea what i'm in for for dinner hmm, that's exciting so that is that so it's a lot of veggies plain protein and gluten-free bread hmm. yay yeah
0: i have not started any type of dieting yet after this in fact i'm gonna go buy some Sub rolls so that we can make cheesesteaks for dinner. So <laughs> much different than what you're eating.
1: This is not a diet. <laughs> There's nothing like eating like a giant, cheesy, fatty, delicious cheesesteak and then like going to bed.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I did a, a six month diet bet that I signed up for. Okay. So it's like you have to lose 10% of your body weight within six months, basically. It's doable. And I put down up front 200 bucks. So if I lose, I lose that. Mm -hmm. um like some incentive it incentivizes you to like not lose your money theoretically right but you know if you really want that cake like (laughs) maybe it doesn't but but the idea is like all the people that lose the pot gets bigger so you could win like thousands of dollars at the end if everyone loses so like could be cool i did some smaller ones back in the day like i'd bet like 20 bucks and do like a one month lose like three percent of your body weight or something and those are Fairly easy because you can kind of game the system of like, all right, when I weigh in, I'm going to make sure I've eaten really badly the past couple days. And then like when I'm at the end, I'll just like flush some water and stuff to make sure I've drank in tons of water. And yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's not hard to do 3%, but I think 10% over six months is much more like I could actually lose real weight, which. Yeah.
1: Like in your case, it's like 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so you know yeah yeah i'm finally gonna get off the couch and yeah it'll be great okay well yeah is that with like friends or is that like some official app or something or? it's an app it's an app called DietBet. okay so it's just with random people yeah i've kind of heard of this concept before so how do you not lie like
0: Oh, so you have to weigh in and you take pictures, like two pictures, one where you're standing on the scale with you've written today's word on a piece of paper. Okay. So you don't just have a picture of you on a scale. Right. And then you have a picture at the same time of you, like full body standing on the scale. So it's like confirming you're not, you don't have like a 50 pound weight on your head or something stupid. Mm. And then people verify that, like they make sure your pictures haven't been doctored and then they say like cool. Your weight is what you said. So I'm sure there are people like that are gaming the system a little that like know how to do some crazy Photoshop stuff that isn't detectable or something. And, but like, there's not a ton of money in it. Like, I don't know why you would care about going to those links. It's just meant to make you want to stick to your
1: diet. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see what, what you choose as your strategy for weight loss over that time frame.
0: Yeah, I think to start, I'm just going to like be smarter. I always wake up and eat waffles or something super unhealthy and like (laughs) have a coffee with like a couple scoops of sugar and creamer. And like, so instead I'll just have like a black coffee and wait. Like I'm pretty good if I know I'm committing to that about waiting till like lunch or later to eat. So I'll just drink a cup of coffee or two and start with that. Like, and then have like smarter choices at meals for like lunch and dinner not any kind of necessarily like portion control or whatever, just not cheesesteaks. Like,
1: you know, mm. have better stuff. I don't know. you probably have a cheesesteak if you had like a quarter of a cheesesteak versus a whole cheesesteak. Then you're going to have that. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. So
0: there's no real plan. Like I'm going to take the first month just kind of casual. And then the second month, if like I haven't had any results, I'll probably do more rigid stuff, but definitely more workouts. Like I'm going to work out, theoretically five times a week, but we'll see if I can stick to that.
1: They say 30 minutes of activity per day, even if that's just a walk, is beneficial Yeah, to weight loss. Yep. Yeah, because you don't want to get jacked, you know, then you put on muscle and put on weight. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm still going to, I'm going to lift weights. Like if I happen to, somehow put on so much muscle that I like lose my diet bet. I will be happy to give away the $200. I don't think that's going to happen though. Right. So. Yeah.
1: It's a win-win. Yeah. I'm going to come out for a couple of weeks and just like spike all your coffee with flavorless protein and creatine. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man, I'm scared of creatine. Yeah. I like I always look at it and like cuz theoretically it just like makes your muscles bigger, but it has like a
1: lot of uh potential side effects and stuff, I think. I saw a thing about this where there was a recent study on it. So the problem is there's a number of variations and then they'll like add, there's additives. So at its heart, like I think creatine monohydrate is supposed to help you with recovery and some of that being some water flush in your in your muscles, but also some other things like with memory retention and things like that. So it's supposed to have some other positive effects. It's when I think you start getting the ones that, or like 50 bucks because they're trying to add 42 other things in there. That's probably not great. I'll have to find this. So I recently subscribed to Arnold Schwarzenegger's daily newsletter. And it's like a five-minute health tips thing. And uh, one of them mentions creatine. Like, what's the deal with creatine? And then has uh, links to a couple of studies. Huh. So seems pretty legit.
0: Yeah, no, I know it's it works. But I've seen like... I go down the rabbit hole of looking at the bad reviews or like then Googling about it. And I don't remember, but it's like, Oh, maybe it like, if you aren't drinking enough water, it like destroys your kidneys or something. Like there's some kind of like weird side effects where probably if you know all of that and do it right, it's fine. But like, yeah, it just, I got scared and never did it.
1: Mm. Way back in the day when I lifted a lot of weights and was concerned with like muscle size and blah, blah, blah. I did it then and it seemed pretty effective in terms of like recovery and supposed, I don't know, they used to say like, let you get in a couple more reps. Uh, I don't know if that was Mm. ever true, but I do believe it helped with recovery. Yeah. Oh, I took a lot of questionable supplements Mm. when I was younger. Those are called steroids, Robbie.
0: No, no. So (laughs) I took this one, I I may have told you about it where like it was a pre-workout thing or like, I guess you took it it wasn't like immediately before the workout, not like the drinks, like with the, all the crap in them. It was like pills mm-hmm. and you would take them, I think daily. And they would just make you have tons of energy. And like during your workouts, you like, just felt like your heart was pumping like so much and could like, you could do anything. And then like, you know, a couple of weeks into me taking it, I get an email from Amazon cause I had bought it from them and they were like, Hey, uh, we randomly tested these and they are just like a prescription heart medicine. Ooh. And I was like, Oh shit.
1: <laughs> like Jeez this is probably not good to be having, but it makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when I was taking supplements like that, um, Amazon was not really a thing for anything other than books for the most part. So you were going to like local vitamin shops or whatever bodybuilding yeah. place. I don't know. Ridiculous things. So I took ephedra for sure. Mm. A lot of people did until they knew what it
0: was.
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I was like, it was pretty effective. Who knows what the long-term effects were. I, I remember meeting someone who had a friend who like was mid to late 20s, took way more than suggested and had a heart attack at like 27. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, see, this is why things in moderation to a degree, right? Oh, this is giving me energy. This is helping me burn fat what if I take 14 of them a day you <laughs> overheat and die? Like, I don't know. What if you just go sit in the desert and don't drink water? I mean, <laughs> you probably lose weight then too. Yeah. So yeah, I think people are ridiculous with that. Like, yeah, that's the thing is, well, like you said, if you drank three gallons of water in a day, they say water's good. Water's good. Water's good. And unless you flood your system out, you know, like anything can be harmful.
0: Yeah. That was a thing. Um, I don't remember the details, but it was like a radio competition thing. Like you went to, I don't know, your local radio station and would have a booth or whatever. And they would have games and competitions or whatever. And one of the things was like, if you can drink this whole gallon of water, you like get something or something. And someone did it and then proceeded to die afterwards because you're not supposed to drink a gallon of water in like 10 minutes or whatever. Like, right. so yeah well moderation is key some people learn the hard way yeah 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 anyway tell me about
1: your premier league fan fest oh yes as mentioned briefly earlier i made a very quick trip to orlando in order to participate in a uh, nbc sports Premier League Fan Fest, which is a thing they do like a couple times a year with the NBC Sports, their pundits. So they'll do like a show throughout uh, the beginning, in between, half times of matches to talk about the matches going on and whatever else. So they do it live, which is kind of fun. And then you're surrounded by other obsessed individuals, which is also kind of fun. And then they'll have some like activities and sponsors there. So it was interesting. It's the first one I've been to. They seem to do a lot of them on the East Coast. I think the last one was in Philly or something. And I have friends and family in Florida. So it seemed like a win-win that I could combine those two. So feedback for any interested in future endeavors of this nature. I would say worth doing, not sure I would do both days because basically they're very similar. And then one day my team was playing and one day my team was not. So like all the swag for the day that your team isn't playing doesn't really apply to you. And and then you've kind of covered some of the similar activities. But uh, there was some cool stuff there where they, if you had like a jersey with no player on it, you could get your like your team star name and number on the back for free. Hmm. That's kind of a nice thing. They had the actual premier league trophy there and you could go up and kind of touch it and get pictures with it. So that was fun. The Barclays, which is like a major sponsor of the premier league had this huge, like claw game set up with like these really big balls and stuff to do it. And it was just as much of a farce as the real one, but you could win. (laughs) There was one trip to London in there There was like $500 savings accounts and then there was like things like, you know, souvenir ball and whatever else. Hmm. I got really close to a $500 savings account. Halfway up it fell. Of course. Of course. And then I ended up with crappy sunglasses instead. So, yeah, that I got on TV briefly. You can see me like yelling in a front line (laughs) of fans. I was like, I just wanted my kids to be able to see me on TV. So once they got that, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to go hang out over here. Are you yelling about JavaScript? Yes. I was like, Tailwind! (laughs) You're welcome, Adam. I'm sure he continues to listen to this show. Oh, yeah. Adam loves us. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was screaming Tailwind. He hasn't sent me a shirt. I could have been wearing a shirt and, like, you know, really helped. But
0: I don't think he has any. You go to Cotton Bureau and order them. I don't think he, like, ships them out.
1: I think that's a smart way to go about it. Like, who wants to do print runs and inventory and everything else i just recently got out of the shipping game myself like i took a, if you'd ever seen some of the video from this oh yeah, i don't i don't see boxes behind you right now i took everything i had left boxes of whiskey from our barrel last year and took them home gave to, them to strangers gave them to the strangers i <laughs> threw them out of the car into the highway because was like i just <laughs> i'm sick of this no i took them home and like put them in my garage because it's you know temperate for a while there and i'll figure that out in the future but i was just like we've gone through some rounds of shipping out and everything else so i don't need like the accessibility i can bring in a couple of bottles if needed to pack and ship i was like i got to get out of this game this is not what i i don't want to be a fedex guy yeah so those are all gone
0: i hate shipping stuff
1: yeah i made it as easy as i can on myself like buying those specific boxes and everything else but still in order supplies from UPS great it's nice but still just kind of gets old
0: yeah things are supposed to come to me I don't give things out they come to me
1: right (laughs) (laughs) well you know shouldn't have bought a barrel I guess I'm sure you still have like 18 boxes oh my god I have like 70 bottles or so yeah so oops I'm down (laughs) to like seven or eight boxes and i guess that's six per so somewhere around 50 or so bottles i don't know
0: yeah so if anyone wants some hit us up yeah we're on twitter and and everywhere so yeah just be like hey we want some whiskey i didn't care enough to buy your nft but we'll still work on getting you some
1: yeah why not i mean i'm i'm down to spread the love and share so yeah why not yeah i like where your head is at there So anyway, Premier League Fan Fest is fun if you're very much into those things. There were some casual soccer fans there, but in general, there were a lot of like supporters groups and stuff and people really into it. My voice is still slightly hoarse from the yelling and screaming and because singing is a big part of uh, Mm. the culture there. So they have lots of different songs for your team and players on the team and things like that or to insult other teams, also fun. So yeah, would recommend, especially in a toasty place like Orlando. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So let's talk about your favorite team, the Broncos you have here in the note. Uh, you're a big Broncos. <laughs> I think you met an S on there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Football. No. Yeah. My Bronco, the car
1: or truck
0: or vehicle
1: or whatever you want to call Restomod. it. So since there is a recent Bronco, you should clarify like. Ah, true.
0: Yes. Not a new Bronco, a, uh, I guess technically it's 1970, but nothing from 1970 is on it. It's like the way you get around that is the VIN number clarifies the age. Mm. So, like, if you have a frame with the VIN number stamped on it, it is a 1970, even if you put new everything else on it.
1: So, are all the panels, like, fiberglass and stuff, or do you you have the original, at least, panels and stuff? I'm unsure. Okay. I believe there's still,
0: like, metal, but... You can buy a new stuff that goes on the frame, the whole like metal body, I guess, Mm -hmm. from Ford. Like Ford still makes them, I think. So like you can buy that and then like drop it on your frame. So like the frame is original and literally everything else from like all of the suspension to the wheels to the body to all of the glass and like none of it is original. The rest is like... Brand new.
1: That's kind of nice, though. So,
0: everything is 2023 except for the frame.
1: Yeah, but you get the look that you like in a retro car. Yeah. And you get creature comforts because, let's be honest, like, Mm -hmm. you don't want the shocks from 1970, right? Nope. And many other parts. And it has air conditioning. Oh, yes. Which is going to be nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's key. Yeah, my Scout did not have that. And uh, if you drove it for more than one minute, it was like 400 degrees inside. Interesting. So... Useful in the winter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the winter, it was fine. But in the summer, you were like, oh,
1: my God, I don't want to be in here anymore. Yeah. I had a couple of air-conditioned-free vehicles here in Arizona. The first one was a 73 Super Beetle. And so, you know, it wasn't convertible. And essentially, even if you were like windows down and let's tilt these little like the I forget what they call it, like the small windows in front of like the main roll down window like, could kind of like tilt forward. Yeah. A little like triangle ones. Yeah. And they could like tilt forward in a way that would direct wind at you and kind of give you some nice airflow. Then now when you're driving that around because I took it to California a couple of times, some other places, you know, California with the ocean breeze. It was like, yeah, this is great. I get why people like these here summer in phoenix arizona it was like (laughs) a blow dryer on your face and you're like how do i get free it's terrible when i'm stopped it's terrible when i'm driving (laughs) i can't go anywhere in the day yeah feel trapped yeah yeah very trapped and then i had a convertible without air conditioning for a bit too and it would you really would just be like This is less like I'm going to suffocate, but still not great. I think I'm just going to not drive in the daytime through all summer as much as I can. (laughs) Get those errands done at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. And that's it. Yeah. No in-betweens.
0: Yeah. So hopefully everything will be nice and cozy in the Bronco. I think they've done a lot of like uh, insulation and and stuff to make it to where it shouldn't be super hot. But Mm. we'll see. And I should have it... uh, then the next couple of weeks, like by the time this airs, I may have it. So
1: I was going to say, I think we'll plan, we'll put a pin in that and plan to do a follow up review. Yeah. Because in theory, it sounds great and much improved over your last <laughs> adventure down this resto mod path, which was less mod, more resto. Now you're going to like, I need nice stuff. Yeah. But I want it to look old and cool. Yeah, that's it. Like when I did the call with the guy initially
0: specking it out, we were talking about like, you know, how high the suspension was and stuff and i was like look i want it to look like it can go off road but i'm never going to take it off road so like yeah you know do what you want with that information yeah make it
1: more comfortable than like capable really right what i would say like skew towards comfort over capability yeah like i wouldn't want to scratch it on a tree come on <laughs> don't make it legit though well yeah
0: i don't care about it being legit no just look good yeah good feel good all right i get that All right. Well, we are at time here. So if you liked this, please subscribe. You just press that little follow button or whatever it is on your platform, be it Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music. I don't know. We're on everything. Pocket Casts. You can find it everywhere. So press that button. Also, press the review buttons if your platform supports it. We would really appreciate ratings. Uh, You don't have to bother with the review part. Just do like five stars you can leave no text in it if five stars of course yeah you know you don't have to worry about typing things just quick ratings and yeah we really appreciate you helping us with that so that we can talk to more people about whiskey web and whatnot and we will catch you next time to talk about astro 2 more
1: thanks for listening to whiskey web and whatnot this podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review,
0: as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.